Come on, it feels good in the house of the Lord. We ought to do that for a few more moments. Come on, does anybody feel the victory of Jesus in this building? I know I do. I feel it up here. How about you in the back? How about you on the side? You ought to give God some praise here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands and shout with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. I love what I feel in the house of the Lord here tonight. Is there anybody else that loves what they feel? Praise God. Some people say, well, you Pentecostals are just too emotional. Not true, not true. In fact, in, in, in Peter's day, in Acts chapter 2, they said, these men are full of new wine. These guys are drunk. And he said, they're not, they're not drunk as, they're, as you suppose. I'd say they're not as drunk as they're supposed to be, praise God. But you'll get that in a week, praise God. There's some folks, you got emotions for all sorts of things. Let me just, ain't nobody in this building a hater, but there's some haters, amen. They got emotions for everything. But when it comes to Jesus, they want to sit down, shut up, and act like the Baptist church mouse. I think the Pentecost is blamed and said we're too emotional. I'd just venture to say we're not too emotional. We just know where to put our emotions at. We've decided to give our emotions to the one that gave them to us. We've decided to give our emotions to the one that matters. I've just made it up in my mind that if I'm going to have an emotional response, it's not going to be to the economy. It's not going to be to the present evil world. If I'm going to have an emotional response, it's going to be in the presence of God where he turns my mourning into dancing. It's going to be in the presence of the Lord where he takes my weeping that endures for a night and he turns it into joy that comes in the morning light. I'm going to have joy in the presence of the Lord where there's people praising I think we ought to take a couple more minutes and shout for the victory and give God praise and give God a shout. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen. For all the haters out there, if you want a quiet church, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Because that's not what an apostolic church is. We just have church. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm having too much fun already. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn open to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Praise God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 33. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Continuing on in our Bible study. The word of the Lord declares, again, you have heard it said that it hath been said of old time that thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Well, some folks would love that, wouldn't you? Amen. Let the wisdom come out. Praise God. But let your communication, everybody say communication. Be yay, yay. Everybody say yay, yay. And nay, nay. Not the modern day nay, nay. You know what I'm saying? Everybody say yes. Everybody say no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. The book of James, chapter 5, and verse number 12, just one scripture there. James, chapter 5, and verse number 12. But above all things, my brethren, love how he puts it, above all things, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your yes be yes. And your nay be nay, your no be no. But he gives a little further understanding. Lest you fall into condemnation. 
Your communication can lead you in or out of condemnation. And I want to continue on in our series, Matters of the Heart, Part 4. I want to talk about commitments. Everybody say commitments. Amen. Would you set down your Bibles and let's pray that God would speak to us tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for already moving in this house, God, already confirming, God, we thank you that you moved on Sunday, and God, that you brought a word to our church. We're thankful, God, that we're not just in another religion, but we're in a community of people, amen, where you come in the midst of us, God. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would anoint your word and anoint us to hear and to engraft your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated for a few moments here tonight. We're dealing with matters of the heart because we are talking about the year of favor, and we want to have the favor of God. Tonight, this matter of the heart that Jesus is dealing with is the subject of communication. The Bible would tell us in several other ways about communication. It would say things like this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but let communication that is used for the edification come out of your mouth. Proverbs would put it this way, that out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible would say that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it, shall eat the fruit thereof. Jesus said it is not the things that go into a man's mouth or into a man's body that defile a man. He said, but it is the things that come out of his mouth. He said blasphemies and bitterness and all of these other things, the things that come out of our communication. Your communication matters. This is why Jesus was saying, let your yes be yes. Because having to swear or make oaths betrays the weakness of your word. It betrays the weakness of your communication. It demonstrates that there is not enough weight in your own character to confirm your words. How much better is it to live in a world, or would it be to live in a world, where yes means yes, and no means no. I would love to live in that world. Unfortunately, we don't live in that kind of world. Some have taken the word of Jesus as more of an emphasis on truth-telling and honesty than an absolute prohibition of all oaths. Because if God was against all oaths, we would have to get rid of verses through the Scriptures. This is not the proper interpretation God is not against people making vows. God is not against people making oaths. But what Jesus is saying is don't make an oath to try to make more power to your yes or to your no. The oaths are permitted under certain circumstances as long as they're not abused or used as a cover for deception. God himself swears oaths, Hebrews 6 and 13, Luke 1 and 73. Jesus spoke under an oath in court, Matthew 26, 63 through 64. Paul made oaths, Romans 1 and 9 in chapter 2, Corinthians 1 and 23, and Galatians 1, 20, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 5. So should we all stop making oaths if you are brought on the witness stand? Is it wrong or sinful for you to lay your hand on a Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God? No, it's not wrong. But what Jesus is saying is he's talking to a matter of the heart where people, especially those in attendance, the religious, they had got in a habit of swearing and making oaths by things outside their control to try to control other people. I just swear to you by the temple that I'm telling you the truth. And they were lying. I swear to you by uh, my mother's grave, on my mother's grave. And the mother's not even dead yet. They're lying. 
They're trying to deceive. They are trying to bolster their words. In fact, you know who loves to do this? Politicians. They'll say anything. Amen. Hallelujah. They're like a dirtbag boyfriend. They'll say anything to get what they want. Once they get what they want, they don't fulfill their end of the bargain. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll cancel every debt you have. And then, well, just here's a couple grand. Amen. They'll say anything just to get you to do your end of the bargain, and they will not fulfill theirs. But you will say to yourself, uh, but they told me they love me. But they told me these great swelling words. But they promised that they would do this. In the world we're living in, we are living in a world that is surrounded with false promises, with missing, uh, amen, uh, communication, with uh, misleading communication, with uh, a world that it, I'm not so concerned with fake news. I know everybody's concerned with fake news. I'm not concerned with fake news. I'm concerned uh, with partial news. I'm concerned, uh, amen, not with propaganda, but I'm concerned with personalized propaganda where you never see anybody else's point of view. You only see your point of view reinforced. And it leads further and further and further down into deception. That's the world we're living in. But Barclay put it this way, the truly good man will never need to take an oath because the truth of his sayings and the reality of his promises need no such guarantee. The fact that all oaths are, the fact is that oaths are sometimes necessary, but it's just a proof that the world we're living in is not a good world. The fact that you got to lay your hand on a Bible in court proves that there's people that are going to lie. But I'm going to say, put it, put it this way. People will lay their hands on a Bible and they'll still lie. People will go to the altar and say, I do, and still lie. They'll make all sorts of commitments and they're lying. Amen. That oath doesn't change anything. And Jesus Christ's commandment is for believers. It's very simple. Let the words yes and the words no be binding in all cases. Because anything above and beyond that or below that comes and becomes evil. A believer ought to be honest in what they say and what they do. They should not need the pressure of an artificial oath to follow through on their commitments. The believer should live a life of integrity such that others trust them without seeking oaths. You don't need an extra promise. Here Jesus explicitly explains why using oaths to enhance a promise is not only unwise, but it can be sinful. When someone declares a promise with an oath, they are undermining their own personal integrity and honesty. The oath implies, I really, truly mean what I am saying, which is suggesting, simply by saying that, is suggesting that non-oath-bound statements might not be as sincere. Let me break it down to the modern generation. To be honest, you ever heard that or said that? To be honest, as if every statement you've told me beforehand is not honest, let me tell you the truth. Well, what have you been telling me for the last hour? Now listen, we all slip up and we say stuff like that, but that's what it means when somebody's trying to take an oath. What they're saying is, I swear upon this that what I'm telling you is true, and it is, it is undermining their own personal integrity. Amen. There is a built-in suggestion that the oath swearer has varied commitment to honesty. It's also a form of manipulation, seeking to get an agreement from other people, using dramatic terms. Because the only way you can get somebody to do what you want is to make some big swelling promise and they'll vote for you. Okay, let's talk about it for a moment. Empty commitments, empty promises are made for several reasons. Number one, this is going to hurt some folks. If you can't say amen, say ouch. It's going to hurt me a little bit. A fear of disapproval. Oh, me, oh, my. Hallelujah. Empty promises are made for one reason. There's many reasons. I'm going to say, talk about a few of them. For a fear of disapproval. Perhaps the most common reason people make empty promises or empty oaths and empty commitments is out of fear of disapproval. 
Fear is a huge motivator, and it can cause you to say and do things that are not in line with who you are at the core. And Jesus is coming against that. He's not telling you to swear by this or swear by that. He's saying swear, amen, by nothing. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do things that are in accordance with who you are. Number two, the need to please. Got some people pleasers in the house of the Lord. While the need to please is similar to the fear of rejection, it's quite different. The need to please comes uh, from a place of always trying to make other people happy, even at the expense of your own happiness. I got some folks that they say yes because they, they want to make everybody else happy, and you keep getting more and more miserable. People, pleasers, will say yes to most anything, including empty promises, just to make other people happy in the moment. This is not healthy for anyone in the long run. Not the person that is trying to please and not the person that is being pleased. Because the one that is trying to please will say yes or say no because they think that's what the other person wants to hear and they will resent the other person. Let me just talk. We talked about marriage last week. But there are some people that the biggest challenge is you keep saying yes when you want to say no to certain things and vice versa. And now you've got some resentment building up. Uh, and you need to just change the game. Uh, and when you want to say no, you need to know that no is okay. Amen. That brings me to number three. You have a problem saying no. There's some folks cringing in the house of the Lord. Because they don't want to disappoint with a no. People who have a hard time saying no and are, are the ones that hurt themselves. It is difficult to juggle life balance, and it makes you empty. It, it allows you to make empty promises as a result. While it's certainly good to say yes, it is equally good to say no when you need to. Hey, as I'm, putting, as I'm praying and God's putting this in my spirit, it's hurting me. I don't like the word no. I think that you should say yes in a different way. Uh, but I want to tell you, as valuable as your yes is, Jesus put it in the same category. you got to say no, too. Did you know yes is a no to something else? Every time you say yes when you don't want to, you're saying no to something else. Did you know that when you say no to something, you are saying inevitably saying yes to something else? While it is good for you to say yes, you also need to learn how to say no. Let me help some people that don't like the word no, including myself. No is a complete sentence. Well, I thought I'd get some help up in here, but all right. No is a complete sentence. You do not need to feel the external pressure to explain or give excuse to why you are saying no. There is no need to do so. Just say no. Pastor, why are you talking about this? A, it's because it's in the Bible. But secondly, I'm trying to build a culture, even in the church, where you can say the word yes and we know what you mean. We've got defined terms. And you have the liberty to say no if it's a no because then there won't be any resentment between you and somebody else in the church or between you and the church because you said yes when you wanted to say no. You made a promise when you didn't want to keep it. You made a commitment when you really didn't want to. It'd be better off for you to say no and stick to your no, and we give you the grace to say no. Praise God. There's some people that you were taught it's not okay to say no. You became a yes man. But I want to tell you, being a no man is just as valuable as a yes man. People go off the rails when everybody says yes. Be, be, the Bible says be aware and be weary when all men speak well of you. Hey, I know there's people in the church don't like me. I'm okay with that. I don't like that as much. I sure wish everybody liked me. But it's going to keep me in check because if everybody speaks well of me, I might be the blind leading the blind into a ditch, and everybody goes into a ditch. It's just as valuable to have people say yes as it is to have people say no. Amen. It's just as valuable to have people that agree with your opinion as it is to have people that disagree with your opinion. This is not a monoculture church. You're going to have people with varying differences of opinions, and they're entitled to it. You're going to have people that say yes, and you're going to have people that say no. But welcome to Apostolic Revival Center. You're welcome here. 
Praise God. Well, number four, speaking without evaluating. Have you ever got caught up in a conversation and you forgot to evaluate your needs and your schedule? It's, it's really easy to do something like that in this busy world. Sometimes empty promises are made simply because we speak too soon without first evaluating how realistic it is or is not. I am guilty of this because I like the word yes. Instead of being embarrassed when you can't follow through with your promise, to take time to really evaluate what it means and, 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 and the time that you do have and the capability that you do have. People like this that speak without evaluating, they are not in touch with their inabilities. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. In fact, this is often a superpower just out of control. Amen. These are people that truly wish they could. They even want to see themselves as the person who can, but if they were to be honest with themselves, they can't and that's okay hallelujah it's all right if you can't you just need to be in touch with it enough to say that's just something i have to say no to number five your this is this is the one that i i think jesus is really dealing with the intention to persuade empty promises and empty commitments unfortunately can be a tool for manipulation you ever told been told by somebody that if you do something First, they will then comply and do their part. You ever signed a contract with some shady person? Yeah. Yeah, you do that. You sign down. You do your part. And then it come to find out they don't fill up their end of the bargain because they weren't interested in filling their end of the bargain. They just wanted you to fill yours. All right. So nobody's never nobody's ever experienced that. How about some parents? They will talk to their child and beg their child. Some comedian put it best. They said bedtime is is nothing more more than a hostage negotiation in reverse. I'll give you anything. Just stay in there. I'll give you anything. Just go to bed. You want cake? You can have cake. Just go to bed. But it's that idea. What are you looking for? Compliance. You want them to comply, so you'll promise them cake, ice cream, anything you want to do. Uh, you can have as much time on the iPad, on the phone. You can go and do whatever you want. And what are you doing? You're just, you're just trying to get them to say yes, uh, but then the parent doesn't do it. How about this one? If you don't stop, you're going to get a spanking. And then they don't spank them. Hey, listen, if you got a rule that says count to three, start counting to two. <laughs> Obey it too. Praise God. I'm kidding. I'm just having fun. I ain't got kids yet, but I, I know what it is to be a kid. My dad didn't have a count to three rule. If he said it, you did it. My dad's yes meant yes. You're going to get a spanking. It didn't matter. Oh, he didn't forget. Amen. He didn't forget. He, he knew he, when you get home, you're going to get a whooping. In fact, they didn't wait till I got home. Uh, nowadays, you get thrown in jail for something like that. I don't know. But so, so people use this tactic. It's to persuade. It's not always, it's not always evil. It's not always bad. It's, it's trying to get somebody to do something good or to do something right. It's just going about it the wrong way to swear or to say something so grand or so big that they just feel so compelled to do it. It's manipulation at its base. And finally, this is the final reason I want to talk about tonight of why people make empty promises and empty commitments. They want to feel good about themselves, even if it's momentary. Because let's be honest, it feels really good to say the word yes. And for my flip side folks, it feels really good to say the word no. The people that like to say the word no, they love to be in control. So they like the word no. We love how it makes us feel, and sometimes we love how it makes other people feel. So... Even if it's a missed commitment, even if it's a false commitment, we are making a big swelling promise, a big swelling vow, a big swelling oath, and we're saying yes or we're saying no, and then we don't fulfill our commitments. And Jesus said, that's evil. Well, hallelujah. But let's talk about what it really does to the individual. Condemnation follows failed commitments. James pointed out that the issue with making hasty or false commitments is falling into condemnation. Where did James learn this? A, he listened to Jesus. He's quoting Jesus at this point. But also, he had a buddy by the name of Peter. And he remembers 
that when Jesus is telling the disciples, letting them in on a secret, that he's going to be crucified, and three days later he's going to rise from the dead, Peter stands up and says, Lord, even if all these other jokers leave and forsake you, I will die with you. I promise. Big swelling words. Until Peter was given the opportunity to die with Jesus and follow through on his commitment, and instead of following through with this commitment, he denied Jesus. And what happened? He felt so ashamed. He felt guilt. He felt condemned. He had allowed a commitment to, amen, to fall by the wayside, and it led to his condemnation. Amen. I've lived for God for 20 years, and I have won many people to God. I've led people. I have even pastored people. Amen. And I have seen some people make such big, swelling promises to God, these great vows and great oaths uh, to, to God himself, to the church. They've made them to me. They've made it to other people. And at the end of it all, they could not keep them. I don't know for what reason they were not able to keep it. Maybe they hadn't reevaluated. Maybe they were just trying to manipulate. Maybe there was some other things going on. But I've watched those people make these great promises. And at the end of the day, their yes was not really a yes. And their no was not really a no. And afterwards, I've watched some of those people falter. I've watched some of those people fall down. And I've watched some of those people even fall away from the faith. Uh, in other words, what the enemy could not do through causing them to sin, he was able to do by condemning them with their own failed commitments. I'm going to help somebody here tonight. What the devil cannot convince you to do through sin, he will get you to do through failing your commitments. Well, I've already failed, so why even try now? That's like eating a cookie when you should have been at the gym. So you stop going to the gym because you gained a, you gained a pound when you should have lost one. That's not what you should do. You should you should get to the gym even more. Amen. You should get to church even more. When you fail, when you fall, don't hang yourself, Judas. Get to the cross. Get to the altar. Peter, find a place at the feet of Jesus and get it redeemed. I'll never forget I brought my brother into church when I walked out of a party. Uh, and uh, he was in church with me for about five years. He was doing real well. Uh, but to be honest, he couldn't quite commit to some areas of spiritual discipline. There's some people, they think they need deliverance. You don't need deliverance. You need discipline. You can't cast out what you should be developing. Well, hallelujah. Well, Lord, I just, I cast out this tardiness. Ain't going to happen. You're going to have to just show up earlier. I cast out uh, the fact that I don't pay my bills. No, you're going to have to budget. Praise God. <laughs> you know, there's some people, they think God will do everything. No, God will do what you can't, but you got to do what you can. And if you can't, God will help you. But if you can, God will encourage you, and God will propel you, and God will prod you, and God will send you a preacher instructing those that oppose themselves. But my brother, he lacked in these areas of spiritual discipline. And all the time, all he could do was talk about his future ministry. All he could do was talk about what he wanted to do in the church and what he wanted to do in the kingdom. And all he could talk about was when I get to do this, when I finally get the microphone, when I finally get the opportunity. Meanwhile, I'm just sweeping the floors and plunging the toilet and cleaning the, the church. And, and he's saying, one day when I get my big break, one day when I get my big opportunity, and I'll never forget one day we had a testimony service and my brother stood up uh, and he got a big old smile on his face uh, and he said, I'm going to be a missionary to Japan. And everybody got excited. They clapped with him and for him. And he sat down smiling as big as a Cheshire cat. But he got his reward in the moment because he said yes, but he didn't live as yes. He got what he wanted, which is everybody to notice him as some big thing. But he deceived himself because he didn't have the certain disciplines and he didn't have the commitments. I'm not trying to make fun of my brother. I love my brother. Uh, but, but it wasn't long until God gave him opportunities where he had to pony up. He had to pay up with his big swelling words. And I watched as the devil beat him down with condemnation over his failed commitments. You want to know why it's a matter of the heart for your yes to be yes and your no to be no? Because if you say Say yes and mean yes, the devil has no place with you. If you say no, devil, that means no. You have no place in my home. If you tell the devil no in your home, you mean it. 
You put your foot down, the devil knows they mean it. Mess with me one more time, I'm going on a fast, and he knows you mean it. Come on, mess with my finances, I'll be a bigger giver than I ever was. And he knows you mean it, and he stops messing with you. But the people the devil messes with the most are those that say great big swelling O's of vows of yes or no, and he knows it means nothing. The only person that those big swelling words mean to are the people you're deceiving and the person yourself that you're deceiving. Because you can fool you can fool other people and you can fool yourself, but you cannot fool God or the devil. Because God knows everything and the devil studies you. Here's the one to help everybody understand. Brother Johnson, I want to learn guitar. I want to learn guitar. Man, I really want to learn guitar. Not really. Because if I really want to learn guitar, I go back and buy a guitar. I pay for lessons. I put the practice in. I put the work in to learn it. See, I don't really want to learn the guitar, Brother Johnson. I'm just merely fascinated with other people seeing that I can play the guitar. I'm using that as an example, but there's so many people, I want to do something for God. No, you don't. You want other people to see that you're doing something, even if you aren't actually doing something, because you want a reward from other people. But God's not looking for that. He's looking for people that truly have commitments. James is talking through his epistle about showing faith, not by words, but by works. What's he saying? He's like, I don't want you just to talk about it, but let your actions speak. Uh, let your consistency speak. Let your commitment speak. In other words, what is James saying? Live your yes. Uh, don't just say yes. To, uh, let everybody else think you mean yes. Uh, but when it comes down to it, brass tacks, uh, you live your yes. Uh, I've heard it time and time again. Pastor, I want to be used of God. Uh, I I believe you. But here's where the rubber meets the road. We'll see it. We'll see you prove uh, through your commitment uh, and through your actions and through your words. Uh, I believe you want to be used of God. I believe you really do. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to prove to yourself. You're going to prove to the devil. You're going to prove to God. You're going to prove to the kingdom of God that you really want to do it by getting up uh, and making a yes be yes uh, or a no be no by making a commitment uh, and saying, I'm standing on my commitment. You want it. I believe you want it. But now you got to follow through with your commitments necessary to be used of God. I have a lot of friends that, that we all talk about. We used to talk about being preachers and pastors. We didn't realize what it all entailed. Um, but, but the truth is there's only a few of us that actually started making commitments. While they were going off and, and just dating around, and while they were going off and backsliding for a few years, and that's not to say you can't backslide, come back and get right with God, but while they were going off and doing all these other things and saying, one day I'm going to be this, or one day I'm going to be that, we were teaching Bible studies. And it wasn't anything anybody would see. The, the, I, I told somebody this one time, you know the microphone and the mop have the same diameter? The difference is people see this, they don't see that, but God's looking at that. I'll prove it to you. When the Bible says Jesus came to the sanctuary, he came to the temple, he watched everybody give, and the disciples only watched one group give. See, the religious have no problem seeing, oh, look what great things they gave. Look at their great swelling commitments. But Jesus said, I didn't just notice that. I noticed the little widow over here that didn't just gave of her abundance, but she gave of what she had left. She gave out of her living. In other words, Jesus doesn't just pay attention to the big swelling commitments, uh, but God pays attention to the little commitments uh, that nobody else sees. Uh, and Jesus is watching the little things uh, that nobody will ever compliment you on. And Jesus is looking at the little thing. You know the first thing? I'm out having fun. This is great. Praise God. Hey, Amen. You know the first thing? This is my candy stick. I felt so excited to talk about this tonight. Because you know the first thing, amen, that we find about Saul in the Old Testament? The Bible declares he lost his father's donkeys. That's the first imagery you have of a young man that's got potential is he lost his father's donkeys. He couldn't keep his father's donkeys. But what's the difference that we find with David? The first image you have of David, he is keeping his father's sheep. And God said, I'm looking for somebody like David. 
a man after my own heart that when nobody's paying attention, when nobody's looking, he's taking care of the little things. He's praying when there ain't a prayer meeting. He's reading the Word of God when there ain't nobody watching him. He's teaching a Bible study when nobody's on social media giving him an amen. What's happening? You're making a commitment, and you're letting your yes be yes. David shows up to the battle, and Saul says, this guy's been fighting since he was a youth. What are your qualifications? David scratched his head and said, well, I was keeping my father's sheep. He could have stopped right there. Saul already gave him the yes. Because he recognized in a young man that this young man was doing something he himself was not willing to do. Hallelujah. That's for free. Well, if you want to be used of God, you got to be committed. Not committed when people are watching, even committed when nobody's watching. Be faithful to church, not when I text you whether or not you were there. Be committed in the small areas of your life that God has put before you to be a steward of right where you are. Jesus put it this way, those that are faithful over little will be rulers over much. In the kingdom of God, we think that the only time we get promoted is when when God drops a big thing in our lap. I want to tell you, when God drops little things in your lap, you're getting promoted. You are, you, well, this is not a big deal. And if little things are not a big deal to you, you'll never get promoted. If little things are not a big deal, I'm not just talking about church. If little things at your job are not a big deal, you won't get promoted. If little things are not a big deal in the kingdom of God, you won't get promoted in God either. But if you say this little thing is a big thing, uh, it may not be big to your neighbor. They could care less. Saul could say, oh, the donkeys don't matter. But you're David, and you've got a heart like God's. And you're saying, I'll fight lions, and I'll fight bears for one lamb. Amen. My father wouldn't even notice. I take care of them all, but I'm going to take care of it because that one little lamb matters. In other words, we must live out our yes. Let your yes be yes. We must also live out our no. It's not enough to say no to sin. We must live that no. You can't come to church and shout when the preacher's talking about repentance and, and, and from dead works and go home and live in those dead works. You're not living your no. You've confused everybody else and convinced everybody else. You may even lie to yourself, uh, but your commitment to your no is not really there. You know what that looks like? That's Samson who said no, but every time a party came around, he was drinking. Every time there was another woman, he was shacking up. Uh, and finally, when the time came, uh, he didn't even care about the locks of his covenant or the locks of his hair because who was watching anyways? You got to live your no, and you got to live your yes. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21. I'm almost done. Deuteronomy 23 and 21. If you take what I'm talking about tonight and apply it to every area of your life, I promise God will bless you like you've never been blessed. If we can get that one shrunk down a little bit so people can see it. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord your God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee. And it would be a sin in thee. Man, don't some verses just really hurt you? <laughs> they help us too, but man, some of those verses are not very fun. In other words, if you vow a vow unto God and you are slack in paying it and taking care of it, and you don't fulfill your commitment, your yes doesn't really mean yes. He said God will require it of you, and if you don't pay it, it will be a sin in you. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. I want you to notice what's happening here. God is saying, if you make a commitment, don't be slack in taking care of that commitment. If you make a commitment between you and God, you fulfill that commitment. He said, if you don't, it's sin in you. But if you forbear or you hold off or you take a moment and you consider and you decide and you don't make that commitment right away, he said that's not sinful. 
It's not sinful to make your time, amen, to take your time to make up your mind. But it is sinful to act like you made up your mind, to act like you want to say yes, but not really mean it. It is sinful to act like you want to say no, but you really want to say yes. Amen. What's he saying? It'd be better for you, amen, to just hold on to your commitment and to hold back on your commitment and then make the decision when you're ready to say yes and mean it. That which has gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. Don't be slack. Take care of it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. I know some folks that have been in church a long time. They might have read that verse, but they never heard that in church. I am the pastor that will read that verse and mean it. I would rather people not want to live for God and mean it than people that say with big, swelling, vowing words, I want to serve the Lord, pastor, and not really mean it. Well, hallelujah. It would be better for you to say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to make a decision in time than to say so you get the approval of whoever you're trying to get the approval of and then not actually do it. It'd be better for you. And we'll get to, do, to Matthew chapter 6 where he talks about alms. He talks about prayers. He said those that do it in secret shall be rewarded openly. But those that do it to be seen amen, they already got the reward. It'd be like me saying, all right, we're going to take a big offering tonight. And, and you stand up and say, Pastor, I'll give $3 million. We might shout and you might get a, a big, big smile. But we know you broke. <laughs> Unless you've been lying. <laughs> Praise God. If you got it, you better pay up. But it'd be better for the individual to just quietly sit down and write the check and mean it than the person that got the applause of the people. I'm dealing with some matters of the heart, folks. You think that doesn't matter, but there's people that you've been living a no when you've been saying yes, and you've been living a yes when you've been saying no. Praise God. Okay, it would be better for you to not make the commitment than to make a commitment and not keep it. Well, does this translate? Absolutely. It'd be better for you to not go get a car loan. You know where I'm going right here. It'd be better for you to not get a car loan than to get a car loan and not pay it. Right? It'd be better for you to not sign your name on the dotted line than it would be for you to sign your name on the dotted line and not fulfill what was read above the dotted line. God is not saying to lack commitment. He is not saying to stay undecided. He loves commitment. He loves commitment so much, he wants commitment to really mean commitment. He loves the kind of commitment that's not like the commitment of our world. He loves the kind of commitment that like, is like his word, uh, the kind of commitment that has follow through. Hallelujah. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but not everybody wants to well do. Everybody wants to hear well done, but not everybody wants to do the, the things it takes to be well done. Hallelujah. It's not just talking about what they did, but it's how they did it. They did it with faithfulness. They did it with follow through. They made a commitment and they stuck to their commitment. They started the race and they finished the race. They started in the spirit and they ended in the spirit. I want to tell somebody, you got to make a commitment. You got to make your mind up. You got to make a decision and you got to say yes and mean yes. Or you got to say no and mean no. Luke 14 and 28, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counts the cost, whether he has sufficient enough to finish it. It is better to count the cost while you decide to make a commitment than to just hastily make a commitment that you can't keep. Because the Bible later says they all made fun of the man that had a partially built tower. We go to Florida twice a year, and there's this building that this charismatic church thought they were going to build. Wasn't a church. It was for some TV program show. It's the ugliest looking building you've ever seen. My wife always points out when we drive by it. But they built it and made this great, great plan. We're going to build this giant building. And, uh, but, but somewhere along the lines, they didn't do their finances. 
And so you have this half-built building, and it's a laughingstock in the community. That is a real-world example of what it's like for a person that says yes but doesn't mean it. I'm, gonna, I'm going all the way with Jesus. We had one guy come through the church. I'm done right here. Uh, we had one guy come through the church years ago. We called him Boxcar Willie. Uh, not to make fun of anybody that's homeless. That's not what, that's not what it was. But he, he told us he rode in on a train. So uh, we didn't get his first name. But he's Boxcar Willie. And uh, Pastor had this, this habit back in the day of handing the mic out. Uh, he doesn't do that anymore. Um, praise God. Because <laughs> we had some interesting moments. But he handed the mic, and this guy said, I got a word. And uh, he said all this stuff. I'm a prophet. I'm all these different things. And he goes, you may not like some of the things I have to say, but this is his final phrase. I'm here for the duration. We never saw him again. <laughs> and so Zach Mayo, the pastor, has always had a joke. He said, if anybody says they're here for the duration, we can just mark it down. They're not. <laughs> Praise God. What am I saying here tonight? Exactly what Jesus said. Let your yes be yes. Let's stand. In a world that good doesn't really mean good and evil doesn't really mean evil, yes doesn't mean yes and no doesn't mean no. In the church, however, in the heart, it should be different. Yes should mean yes, and no should mean no. When your yes means yes and your no means no, you show out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. You show that's what, what is an abundant, what is in, an, in abundance in my heart? Commitment, truthfulness, sincerity, which means without guile, without manipulation, reliability. Everybody say reliability. How many would like a car that works once in a while? Right? You, you, would you buy a brand new car that works once in a while? Of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. Why? Because we all want reliability. Your boss wants the same thing from you. Jesus wants the same thing from you. The church wants the same thing from you. It'd be better for you to be consistently okay than just great once in a while and then bad the rest of the time. Because when you average it out, it's not that good. It'd be better to be reliable, committed, truthful, sincere, than for everybody to think you are that and not really be it. That's what the Bible says. It's like a foot out of socket, and a, tooth, a, a, a foot out of joint, a tooth out of socket. They look nice until you bite down or put your foot down. That's what a person without commitment's like. They look like a pillar. You know, to see this pillar, I know we'd all love to cut it down. But if you cut that thing down, this whole building's coming down. Don't let Samson in the church. Praise God. But you know, you can knock some of these walls out because they're, they're just they're studless walls. They're just faux walls. They're just drywall. You know, these walls look really pretty. I like these walls. They're nice. I'm glad we have them. When it's cold, it keeps the cold out. When it's hot, it, it, it just keeps everything better. Amen. To have walls. Praise God for walls. But you ever try to hang something on drywall by itself? Depending on its weight, it might rip through the drywall. A person without commitment is pretty and cute. Everybody likes them. They say yes, but they don't really mean it. Until they, you go to put weight on them, and they crumble under the weight. You try to put a roof on some folks that act like a pillar, but they're not really a pillar, they'll crumble. God doesn't want faux pillars. God wants real pillars. Committed pillars. Hallelujah. I'm done right here. In Genesis 28, Jacob vowed to serve God and to honor him with 10% of all of his increase. If God would be with him, God fulfilled his end of the bargain. And Genesis 31, God called on Jacob to fulfill his part of the bargain. In Judges 11.30, Jephthah made a vow unto God even though, amen, he didn't know what that vow meant. In Judges 11 and 39, Jephthah kept his vow even though it hurt him. And Jephthah ends up in Hebrews 11 simply because he honored his commitment. He honored his vow. It is an act of faith to be a man or a woman of your word. We talk about faith when you're walking on water, but I want to tell you what else is faith. When you say yes and you live that yes. When you say you're committed and you are committed, that's an act of faith. In 1 Samuel 1, 11, Hannah vows to God that she would give her child back to God if he gave her a child. In 1 Samuel 1 and 28, she kept her commitment to God. I've seen parents dedicate their babies to the Lord and then years later skip church for t-ball practice. 
Don't just dedicate your children on one service. Dedicate them every service. You know, God only killed a few people in the New Testament. What a great way to end the service, Elder. Praise God. In, in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira made a commitment to God that they would sell their land for a certain amount and they'd give all the proceeds so revival could continue. But they conspired together that they would keep back a little bit of their commitment. How does God feel about that? Well, Old Testament God would have struck them with lightning. What about New Testament God? Same God, folks. In Acts 5 and 10, God had killed them both for lying. It wasn't that they kept back. It's that they promised all and they didn't give all. But if they would have promised some and gave some, God would have been okay with it. But God didn't want it to get into the DNA of the first century church that it was okay to say yes and mean no or to say no and mean yes. God didn't want it in the newly birthed church to start a track record of breaking commitments. So God dealt with it. Matthew 21, 28. Last scripture for the night. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he repented. Praise God for people like that. Afterwards he repented and he went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. You know, the Bible talks about flattery is deceptive. I have some people call me sir, but they don't mean sir. They mean a, a different word. Praise God. I go, sir, and went not. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. You got two groups. You got the one that is overcommitted, that says yes to everything, but doesn't really want to do it and doesn't do it. You got the one that's undercommitted. We are losing commitment as a character marker in this generation. You ever heard of this phrase? I read about it in an article the other day. You ever heard the phrase quiet quitting? Yeah, I read about that in New York Times the other day. Quiet quitting. They're actually calling that a, a virtue in our generation. That's a vice. That's not a virtue. What is quiet quitting? That's where you start to pull back at your job or other commitments because something or someone external. It could be that you signed up to do a job, you agreed to the job, but after you got started on the job, you started feeling like the pay wasn't as much as you're worth. So you start doing what you think the pay should be worth. You do less than what they hired you and you agreed to in your commitment to do. And you just start quietly quitting. What does that look like? You start quietly quitting by giving an effort of your commitment equal to how you feel the compensation is. This is somebody who used to be involved in the kingdom of God, but somebody offended them or they don't like or agree with somebody or the leader or this or whatever reason, so they quietly quit and they remove themselves from the equation and their commitments get less and less and less until they're seemingly non-existent at all. Unfortunately, if commitment was just everybody else's problem, that'd be okay. But commitment is a matter of your heart, and it's a matter of my heart. Commitment is not predicated on anybody else. It's predicated on you. This is why Paul tells the church, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. What does that tell us? When you make a commitment... You are not working for your boss. You are working for Jesus. Well, Pastor, you don't know how bad my boss is. I had a boss that used to throw swing line staplers at my head. Uh, but I still worked for that boss, and I wasn't working for the boss. I, I was working so I would be a Christian. I, I was trying to be an example. I was working for Jesus. I didn't even like my boss. Wasn't a fan of my job either. Uh, but I wasn't working for them. I was working for Jesus. Uh, can I help somebody in the church? You are not working for ARC. You are not even working for the pastor. You are working for Jesus. 
I know churches that work for the pastor, and they seem like they've got it all together, but that's preacher worship, honey. I hope you respect me and my wife. I hope you love us, but please don't worship us. Amen. Don't do it for me. Do it for Jesus. You are not working for your spouse. You are working for Jesus. And so, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. If you're going to be committed, be committed. If you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to be committed, take your time. Pray about it. Now, I'm not giving anybody an excuse to be undecided for the rest of their lives. Eventually, you've got to make it up in your mind whether you're going to be in or you're going to be out. Eventually, you've got to make it up in your mind whether you're going to say yes or you're going to say no. Notice how you didn't put maybe in there. It's yes or it's no. It's yes to Jesus or it's no to Jesus. It's yes to the cross or it's no to the cross. It's yes to self-denial or it's no to self-denial. It's yes to being in church or it's no to being in church. There's no in-between. Got to make up your mind. This is why Joshua said, choose you this day. Make up your mind. Make a commitment and live by that commitment. Would you lift up your hands all across this house? Thank you for letting me take my time here tonight. Come on. It's a matter of the heart. Come on. Have you been quietly quitting in your job? That's a matter of the heart. You need to let God raise your commitment level. Have you been quietly quitting in church? You need to let God raise your commitment level. Have you been quietly quitting in your marriage? You need to let God raise your commitment level. You need to, you need to go back to where yes means yes and no means no. I want to open up this altar. Would you come? The devil is trying to use your lack of commitment as a way to beat you up and beat you down. But I come against that lie from hell in the name of Jesus Christ. When you say yes, mean it. When you say yes, you might do some things that act like you meant no, but you repent over them, and you come back to the altar, and you say yes again, and you say yes again, and you say yes again, and when you leave the altar, you walk out with a yes in your step. Come on, let's pray. I want to open up this altar. Would you come? I think everybody ought to come pray. Commitment's something we all deal with. Amen. Commitment's uh, not just uh, whether or not you were there, but how present were you? Uh, how effective are you? Uh, are you involving all of your being? Uh, are you there in body but not in spirit? Uh, are you there in body but not in heart? Uh, you got to bring all your commitments to the Lord. Come on, let's pray in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody pray in this house. I want to say yes. I want to say yes. But God, deep down in my heart, I might have a no. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would help me with that no. Come on. There's some folks that deep down in your heart, you want to commit. You want to commit, but you got all this other stuff that's hindering your commitment. Amen. I want to help you today. Let your roots go deep. Change me, Lord, change me, Lord, don't let me stay Come on, come on, when you say yes, it'll change everything. When you say yes and mean yes, live yes, it changes everything. Take my life, make my life just what you want it to be. Lord, please change me, change me, dear Lord. Change me, Lord, change me, Lord. Don't let me stay the same. I want to be more like you. Take my life, make my life just what you want it to be. Lord, please change me, change me, dear Lord. 
church let's pray for a few more moments let's take come on let's take a few moments in this in this altar call and just really boil it down hey your your mind and your mouth said yes but maybe there's parts of your heart that haven't said yes that's all right that's all right but you can do what the one brother said he repented and said lord i know i said no but god fix that part of me fix that part of me because i want to say yes I really want to say yes. Hallelujah. Just what you want it to be. Lord, please change me. Change me, dear Lord. Come on, that's it. Let's pray for a few more moments. Hallelujah. It's a matter of my heart, my commitments, my yes matters to God. My no matters to God. How I live that yes matters to God. How I live that no matters to God. If I say no to the world, I'm not just saying it so I shout with everybody else. I'm saying no because I want the love of God to move more freely in my life. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm not just saying it so everybody gets excited with me. I'm saying yes to Jesus because my heart said yes. Yes. 